Welcome to the Gathering Q&R Podcast, a safe space for young adults to ask tough questions about God, humans, and life. I'm Lane, a seminarian and the young adults pastor at Beaverton Foursquare Church. And I'm David. I'm a Bible college professor, and I serve here at Beaverton Foursquare on the adult discipleship team. And I'm Debriana. I am currently in seminary. I'm a songwriter, and I'm a worship pastor at Beaverton Foursquare. We are so glad you stopped by. Okay, so we were just laughing because the the intro, which which our uh, sound technician Zachary, uh, should, he hates the word Zachary, doesn't he? Zach? Yeah, yeah. We'll go with he, Zach. Mr. DeBolt, sound engineer DeBolt. Uh, he created the music that you hear on the podcast. He mixes for us, makes us sound better, and edits out all the edits out all the bad things that we say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we were just laughing because our intros make us sound so like legit. And we're is, not. It's just funny because like it's like oh yeah, my name's Lane. I'm a seminarian, but I was taking one class. <laughs> Same. And I just started last semester. Same. It's going to take me like eight years Same. to finish. So yeah, I'm a seminarian. Super cool. <laughs> well, I don't know about you guys, but I fully stood by what I said. Oh so I was teaching one Bible class. <laughs> How big so was that class, by the way? It was seven people. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Hey, that's still, it's more people than I have in class. Because I don't have a class. More people than you'll ever. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Just, just for that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a class unaccredited, and I'm gonna have eight people volunteer to be in that class. <laughs> They'll write one essay. I'll volunteer, Lane. Thank you. I'll be there. It's like a Guinness World Record situation where it's like I would never do this apart from wanting to just beat someone out. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, um, no, but we are really legit. And you should listen to us because we're super wise, but super humble too. Oh, <laughs> uh, I thought it'd be cool for us to to start off this episode. So, David, when we were roommates together in Costa Mesa, um, you would often ask me a question that would really tick me off because because it was a really good question and it was really convicting. So we'd be like sitting in the living room and you'd say something like, how far are you into the office? (laughs) No, that question was always I've up to date because Uh, that was all we ever watched ever. Um, (laughs) No, but you would ask me, what is one thing God is teaching you in this season? And sometimes I'd feel really good about it because I'd be like, I'd be like anticipating that you were going to ask me. I'd be like, oh, I've got a good answer for David today. Like, I'm going to tell him this. This is going to be super profound. Other times you'd ask me and I'd be frustrated because I, I would realize, oh, I don't actually know because I'm not A, paying attention or, or B, like care enough to like be thinking about like what is God teaching me. So I thought uh, that would be a good way for us to start off the podcast because I just want to tick you guys off as we start. Um, <laughs> what is God teaching you in this season? Debriana, go. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like the Lord is teaching me a lot about presence right now, mm-hmm. um, both enjoying his presence, but also learning how to take experiences there and actually be present with other people. Mm. And I feel like this last year or so has been surrounded by a lot of transition and months and months of like making hard decisions um, and like mulling over like, should I be doing this or that? Or like, what, what should I be doing right now instead of just being where I'm at? Yeah. And so I feel uniquely drawn into just the intimate secret places with the father again in the mm. season, which feels really sweet in one sense. Um, it feels a little bit um, 
oh what's the word like just like gently invasive like I feel like <laughs> <laughs> like if, if you can say something like that but just gently the father invasive. like being so gently um calling me back into mm. a space that feels completely unhidden yeah um and yeah and it's it's kind of cool seeing that transfer into um like connection with people mm. uh, how when you're able to be present with the Lord, um, it kind of opens up an opportunity to be present with other people in a unique way. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that that's kind of presence is yeah. just one thing I've been leaning into. So question about presence. Yeah. Have you found that as you've matured in your faith, that that experiencing God's presence has gotten more difficult? Or has it become easier? Or both? <laughs> I think... The more you follow Jesus, there can be expectations of what it means to mm. experience his presence. Yeah. So I, I found like even this week I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be experiencing you like when I was 12 and like yeah. totally yeah. on fire and like just yeah, yeah. In, in a place of like <clears throat> meeting God and all of these different emotions and all of those things. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm actually like just sitting here in a room and aware that he's with me, those things feel really different, but it's, it can be easy to get caught up in this trap of like, here is the measure of success of like, here's how I know that I'm with God. Like sometimes if you've had a lot of experiences, Mm -hmm. you can say, Oh, if I didn't meet him, like I did in that experience, maybe I didn't meet him at all. But I think the longer you follow Jesus, there's this ease to understanding like, he is always, um, he is everywhere. He is, um, he's with me. Um, and so, yeah, I I don't know. I, it can be like more challenging in, in a way because I think there's a lot of, um, different measures of success you could put up. Uh, but I think at the same time it can be, you can grow in that sense of understanding that he is always with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that feels a lot to me like marriage. Like, I feel like when you first get married, like the, the day of your wedding is, is like, you know, depending on what your experience is, it's really crazy. I remember the first time I saw Jaina walk down the aisle, I was overwhelmed with so many emotions. Like, I don't think if you asked me today, I could tell you like what I was feeling. I don't know if I could express that. I was there. You cried. I cried. I did. I did. I cried yeah. immediately. Like she just turned the corner and I was like, Ugh, I was done. That's yeah. sweet. It, it wasn't it, even cute though. <laughs> it was like it was, an ugly cry. It was... <laughs> Ugly cry, yeah. Whatever, dude. There's a picture of me on Facebook that would that would contest that. I think I look pretty good while I was crying, but well, what's seared in my memory is seared <laughs> in my memory. So, but yeah, like like that moment was amazing, um, and I think it was like just for that moment, right? So like, not to say that I won't ever be enthralled by Jaina as we continue in our marriage, but like, what that enthrallment is that a word? Sure, yeah. enthrallment. We'll claim it. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll say that it's a word. Pastors make up words all the you, time. You just gotta say it with confidence. Enthrallment. There you go. There we go. I believe <laughs> you. <laughs> but the enthrallment that I experience with Jaina is going to deepen, right? That's what I hear from people who are you've been married for like fifteen years, twenty years, thirty years. It's yeah. like, it's like, no, I don't feel the way that I did on my wedding day, but I feel deeper. I feel right. more. And it's like yeah. sometimes we get caught up in our expectations, where it's like, why doesn't it feel like the honeymoon? Right. And it's like, well, it's because it's not supposed to. Like right. there's 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 a faithfulness and a story that's been developing in your marriage right. 
that like shows you what it's going to be like in the future. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like a different feeling. Yeah. One of the things I've been praying lately is just saying like, I trust that you get better. Like I totally. trust that he gets yeah. better to me over time or, or like, <clears throat> I trust that you get clearer that I will be able to see a clearer. clearer I like that. You. Um, Have you seen that movie? Uh, is it the second Chronicles of Narnia movie? It's in the book too. Um, where they return to Narnia. Uh, is it Prince Caspian? I think it's Prince Caspian. I think you're thinking of Return of the King. No, that's that's Tolkien. <laughs> Lewis. Yeah. Narnia. I know. I know. I yeah, know. David. Whatever. Um, I think okay. I think it's Prince Caspian. If I'm wrong, our our listeners can correct me. I don't know. <laughs> they can pick it outside. Email my house. angry <laughs> emails to Lane Greenleaf Perez at b4church.org. I'm so glad you didn't remember my real email. Anyway, so. So there's a there's a scene in that movie where where Lucy, who's the youngest sibling, right? She she gets to Narnia and she's looking for Aslan because of all the people in the, of the characters in the first book um, or the first movie, um, she probably connected with Aslan in a more like intimate childlike way. So she gets there, her faith is unyielding, like right? She like she doesn't care what's going on, so she's looking for Aslan, and Aslan kind of appears to her in the forest when nobody else is looking, and nobody will believe her by the way after she sees him. But when he appears to her, she's like, whoa, you've gotten so big like you've grown and he's like well lucy as you grow so do i and i think it's not so much that like like our our imaginations make god grow he is who he is and he always will be but our perception of him becomes bigger more complete clearer like you said the more that we grow too um and so now this lion was like twice the size to lucy because she had grown in her understanding and her faith and i think that's a cool cool thing david what's god teaching you Man, uh, that's a great question. Uh, so recently, my wife Laura and I we went on vacation to the to Australia, which was awesome. Um, that's you're from there, right? Yeah. So that's where born I was born. Raised? No, not raised. Just born. Partially raised. Born and lived there long enough to claim it, and then uh, you were reared. To, reared there. Developed. Excuse me. You were farmed in Australia. <laughs> It's so insensitive. <laughs> How old were you when you moved? No, I was three, and I'm hurt now. But oh, all right. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so three years old when moved to America. But so this was a big trip because it was Laura's first time going to my country of birth, and so you know we got there and we spent like I think it was eight days um, or ten days, uh, you know, seeing family and seeing some cool places. And then we got back home, and we were so excited to get back home to see our our dog, and uh, which was great. But then, of course, yeah. Uh, but then it, it was just this weird slipping into like a post vacation blues, and I, you know, I talked to my therapist about it. Like, I am a I'm a pretty like work oriented person, so I like to be productive and very motivated by succeeding in work. But I like while on vacation, there was this joy in life that was like almost awakened in me. And so coming home, it was hard because it was as if I could no longer enjoy Mm -hmm. that piece of life, Mm -hmm. what we experienced while on vacation until our next vacation, you know, which who knows when that'll be. And so Laura and I brought up conversation around okay, how do we 
enjoy life and not try to take it too seriously because she and I are both very like we take life very seriously type people and uh, I feel like God has been just stirring in me to uh, to enjoy life to uh, not take mm. it so seriously mm. allow yeah. y- you know allow us to have hobbies enjoy good food with friends mm. and yeah. Uh, and that that is a good thing. It is not all about what you produce because that's a very uh, American Western culture yeah. type message. Yeah. That you know if you, what life is is what you you know, make of it. Right. You, what you produce from Leave it. Leave your mark. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, so something that God's been teaching me. Um, I recently had an opportunity to go on a retreat for people in ministry and it was just amazing experience through Portland seminary. Um, and I was on the beach at Cannon beach and Wait I was, a minute, did you let them know that you only took one class? <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, I'm a fraud. I only took one class. Oh, no. no, I was, I was asked, I was asked to apply, uh, just for your information. So okay. <laughs> I, I was actually, I was stunned that I got accepted into it, but yeah, anyway, so, so <laughs> for our listeners, David and I have a deep love and affection, which is why we're so rude to each other. Um, but so, so we're at Cannon beach and, uh, I hadn't had a time of just isolated prayer and reflection in a, in a while. Um, and the point of the retreat, it's called thriving. And the point of it was to help um, pastors to receive what they're giving, <laughs> mm. right? Which is like, you know, it's a doctors make the worst patients kind of principle. You know, it's like mm. pastors are always coaching people how to become more like Jesus, how to how to be drawn to Jesus. But for some reason, we neglect our own spiritual well-being and emotional health. And um, so the, the point of the retreat was like, how do we help pastors not head to burnout? How do we... Help people not to end their their ministries in moral failure. Like, how can we bring people close to Jesus and let it be healthy? Let them be happy as they're doing what they're doing. And so, um, I was at this retreat. I'm, I'm praying, and I'm the kind of person that um, I, I I often feel like the hero of my own, not just my own story, but of the world. Where it's like, like I alone have the power and the strength to rescue all of you. That's that's kind of what part of what drives me and I explains why you're so pleasant (laughs) (laughs) yeah no honestly it makes it makes for a really intense individual Mm. right especially in times of stress like like I can be really um rigid and um a little uh narrow-minded actually um we're gonna have a guest on the show a little bit later to help us walk through some of our questions and she always makes fun of the way that I used to walk through um, the college campus that we were together because I was just like beelining for whatever I was doing. I didn't like stop to say, hey, how's it going? Not like, how are only you today? that, but each step you take has so much weight to it. And, you know, you're not a heavy man, heavier than me, but you're Whoa! not a hey, man. Let's find a skit. No, it's but, probably true. It's fine. But <laughs> I'm curvy and beautiful and I love it. Okay. <laughs> But you, every step you take, I mean, it's no wonder you go through socks every three months. So <laughs> I rip holes in socks Wait, super frequently. Yeah. There are people who document holes in my socks. I have a friend who actually, like, every time she sees a hole, she takes a picture and she sends it to our friend group. It's a little embarrassing. It's fine. But here, <laughs> I digress. So I see myself as a hero <laughs> of, of the world, right? And I, as I was reflecting, there was this little, um, uh, courtyard where I kind of sat down and there was an etching in the concrete in front of me. I tripped over it on the way over there, actually, but I didn't actually see what it was. 
And as I looked at it while I was reflecting and had my journal open and stuff, there was a little like clipper ship, like a fishing vessel. I don't know what it is. And it was on a compass. And the Lord I've found often speaks to me through images. If you want to call them visions, if you want to call them imaginative prayers, whatever you're comfortable with, I, I communicate to God most efficiently through images, pictures, like a movie. And um, as I'm as I'm sitting there, um, he's he's showing me this this ship, and I imagine water now around it. It's almost like it's filling in like a movie scene, mm-hmm. and the ship is stuck in these rocky shoals. And there's this compass on board that's telling the people on the boat, "You can't be here. You're supposed to be over here. This is the destination you're supposed to be in." But the but the ship is stuck, and the the storm is so intense that the boat can't get out of the rocky shoals. And I just felt the Lord gently. Like, you know, lay his hand on my heart. I don't know what that means, but it's how it felt. And he was just like, Lane, you're this you're this little ship. And you get so mad at yourself mm. for not being big enough, strong enough to like be where you're supposed to be. And how silly is that? Is it your fault that you can't get out? Like you are what you are. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm sitting there like in front of this in front of this courtyard, just like starting to cry by myself. I must have looked like a lunatic. And um, I realize like that that is me. I often see myself as like I'm beating myself up for not being powerful enough to overcome what's in front of me. And then later that day, I'm walking along the beach and he I just had a flashback memory that I think God brought to my mind where I'm 10 years old. And I'm and I, I don't know how you guys play at the beach, <laughs> but when I was like a little kid playing at the beach, I like to punch the waves. Like, as the waves were coming, I would literally mm. fight them what? like I was fighting some kind of villain, right? Yeah, we were way different. <laughs> I was usually putting sunscreen on under an umbrella. Under an umbrella? Yeah. Wearing a sun shirt? Yes. <laughs> Just trying not to be completely burnt and crisp? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we digress. So, I'm having this flashback of me fighting the waves, right? And it's just so funny that you see this like little 10-year-old kid literally facing down the ocean, right? And as a kid thinking like, this is perfectly acceptable. Like I'm fighting this uphill battle that I know I can never win, but it's the fight that matters, right? And then as we zoom out, I'm like, I feel God gently speaking to me again. He's just like, is there anything any man can do to stop the waves? Is there anything that you can accomplish to, to interrupt the gravity of the moon to stop these waves? And I realized like, it's often that futile in my own spiritual life. I feel like I need to be powerful enough to defeat the oceans. And then I remembered um, the story of Jesus calming the storm on the boat, right? Disciples are freaking out. And, And the point of it was not that, hey, disciples, you know, this boat needs to be better. You should have picked a better boat or you should be better at sailing. It was, I'm on the ship, so where is your faith? Why are you afraid? I'm here with you. And so that's what I feel like the Lord's been teaching me is that I don't, I'm not powerful enough, good enough, strong enough, whatever you want to couch it in. And that's actually okay. Because my insufficiencies are where I discover the power of faith to step into a situation despite my weaknesses Mm -hmm. and insecurities. Yeah, I think there's something in receiving limitations as a gift. Like I feel... I I have felt that currently in in my life as well, like that. Like, yeah, often when I have felt limitations or like this feeling of like I can't or um, anything like that, it's always been suffocating. But learning how to receive limits as a gift um, and realize, one of my good friends always says, dependency 
is our honor, not our shame. Yep. And there's yep. this. Oh yeah, I do say that. <laughs> <laughs> Just takes credit for everything. <laughs> for every quote that we'll use. David Beavis said that, right? I think David Beavis said that. <laughs> so yeah, there is there is that grace to totally. accepting that. Yeah. Hundred percent. Thanks for sharing, Elaine. No, thank you guys. I I think that's a cool way to start um, the episode, just because it gives us an insight as to the questions that probably a lot of us have that we don't necessarily voice. So, um, the last podcast was our first one, right? So we were kind of working things out, figuring out what what's our DNA going to look like, how's this going to work, and so um, for those of you who did listen to the first episode, um, you're welcome. You're <laughs> we thank hope you. that you were able to get something out of it. Um, and uh, we appreciate your patience and grace. And again, this yeah. this podcast was was created for the people of the Young Adults Group at the Gathering, um, which is Beaverton Foursquare Church. And so um, it, it, we, we are open for, for anybody and everybody who wants to listen in, and we hope that God can use it for you wherever you are. Um, but yeah, we're, we're pastors in a place that are, that are serving a, a specific people. So um, yeah, I serve middle school students. So if you hear any <laughs> analogies that involve farts, I am sorry in advance. <laughs> farts and what? What else is junior high humor? I don't know. Okay, I honestly think I'm just at farts so far. Okay, great. Yeah. That's what you're learning in the... <laughs> your tenure yeah, you know, that's, you know, as pastors you really gotta understand the language of your people and so far I'm there and I've got more to learn but we've got that one down well I look forward to seeing the continuation of this thread of thought yes yeah, so um, is my wife <laughs> so so one thing that um, was interesting uh, as we were kind of talking about the the last podcast Deb I realized her voice um, was distinct from mine and David's in a certain way I feel like I tend to lean into instruction pretty quickly very instructional um, and and Deb's heart felt very like like a parent you know that was caring for a child which I thought was a really cool angle to these questions and I was even talking to somebody about the podcast who listened to it, and they're like you know Deb's Deb's answers or her responses again we don't really know if we have answers we're just responding to these questions um, her responses were uh, an angle that I wasn't even thinking of when I heard the question, which means that other people were. Mm. And um, I think the diversity of our voices are, are really important in that. And um, something that Deb brought up a lot in the last episode was, um, what's the heart behind this question? So, like, you're asking this question about about sex and living with somebody. Um, that must mean that there's there's a desire for intimacy in your heart that isn't being met or is being met in a way. You know, there was, there was something in there behind it. And um, as I as I ruminated on that, I was thinking about this poem um, that uh, a friend of mine who will remain anonymous, um, I was able to listen to uh, give this poem. And there was this line that just like like jumped out of the page at me. And it was, starve your God of answers and you will discover love. Oh, Layton, you're so sweet. You're <laughs> so sweet. Stop that. <laughs> but I think, I think what's powerful about that is... Um, a lot of the times we ask these questions expecting an answer to be what we're looking for. Mm. And it's really not like the answer is, is a, is a halfway measure. It's a, it's a coping mechanism. What we're really looking for is our needs to be met in the question. Right. And so when we relinquish the idea that, that we will maybe necessarily never have the answers that we're looking for on this side of eternity, it, it impacts then how we live because a life that's driven by the need for answers can often lead to a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of uh, 
mindlessness in terms of engage like you start obsessing about things where um discovering love in the midst of questions and angst right. that's gonna be like really like how do we move forward what do we do and we'll talk more about this later yeah. in the episode but i just wanted to say that right off the bat and if you wanted to um take that quote and just like write it on your mirror and let it remind tattoo you it uh, tattoo yourself. it on yourself starve your god of answers and you will discover love it's a, it's a great great philosophy um Great. So, David, can you take us through the questions that uh, people are posing to us this this time around? Yes. First question is, if God knows everything that will happen, why did he create Lucifer in the first place, knowing he would become the devil? Also, if the devil is from heaven, how is he affected by sin coming from a pure heavenly place? Interesting. Okay. Uh. If no one is beyond saving, why doesn't God reach out or save people who went to hell or try to save Satan himself? Lastly, if God is a part of us since we are created in his image, where is God in Satan? Boom. Boom. Where is God in Satan? That's how they ended their question. That's Mm. so intense. Nice lighthearted question to there. just kind of kick off our yep. time. Wait, so this came from one person? <laughs> one person. Oh, yeah. my. So I In can tell, breath. whoever this is, you are obviously a deep thinker. Um, and these are really big questions that I think uh, philosophers and theologians have probably been batting back and forth right. for centuries right. now. So, Man, so I was hoping we'd get how far is too far, but no. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about weed, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, this is like basically the problem of evil, right? This is a really big philosophical question. And, you know, I, I, I kind of like where you float here in the beginning, whereas, like, if he knew that Lucifer would become evil, then why did he create him in the per- first place? Like, where did, why did Satan become an evil person? What, what happened to Lucifer? And I was reminded when I read this, like, when I was a kid, I actually used to pray for Satan. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Explains yeah. a lot. Explains a Wait, lot. Wait, what do you mean? So, like, okay, when I was a kid, I would do a lot of praying in the shower. Because Classic. it was a private place and nobody could see me, so I just could I could pray. I, I bet my parents were probably like leaning up against the door, just like listening to what my prayers were. Really? And do you think they were doing that? <laughs> oh, I totally would. If, if I knew that Liam was like praying, I, I, that's like I want to know what he's praying. That's so sweet. Um, you were like praying for Satan in the shower. My parents were like, "What?" That's it. We're homeschooling him. Was <laughs> there a hotline for that? Um, <laughs> Google my kid. Is is praying for Satan. What do I do? <laughs> no, but it was born out of this place of like, like I really, I, I accepted Jesus into my life when I was seven um, because I was just really thankful for the idea that like somebody who was perfect um, could lower himself to serve me. And I was just humbled by that. Um, and even to die for me with me in mind, I was just mm. baffled by that. And so I was like, why, why doesn't everyone want this? And like, if they do, like, if they heard about this, why wouldn't they want it? Mm-hmm. And so, like, why did Satan choose not to be, not to receive this? Like, why wouldn't he? So, I mean, I think it's a really great question. Um, but at the root of this question really is, why does evil exist? Right. Because we talk about, like, okay, well, so if Satan's from, if Satan's from uh, heaven, then where did evil come from? How did he become evil? Um, and, and really what this question is, is, is it's it's packed with a lot of emotion, right? There's there's probably frustration in this question. Like maybe there's evil or injustice that's, that's happened 
um, in the world or in your life and you just can't reconcile it. Maybe there's this sense of injustice and there's anger. Maybe there's sadness for things that are happening in the world. I, I'd like to think that this question is actually being born out of empathy because you see a problem in the world mm. and you're wondering, like, why does it have to be this way? There's a lot of angst, right? And I think I'm encouraged because you're not alone in this angst, just so you know, whoever asked this question. I think a lot of us feel this angst and there has not yet been an answer <laughs> that someone's given me for the problem of evil that's like satisfied me like oh okay well then then I'm good like it still makes evil a really difficult thing to wrestle with and I think of the language in Romans 8 where it talks about creation groaning um, for what is to come this is idea that we don't have words or intellect to wrap our minds around some of these problems that we have these issues so like the best we can do is like groan <laughs> like mm-hmm. like like in angst be upset so if if a if a clear-cut answer exists and is attainable which I'm not sure that it is um, I think the the better question is what will you do with the answer like if you ask yeah. why does evil exist yeah. and someone told you now what Right. Like, like, is any answer really going to be satisfactory when it comes to this problem? Like, but because evil in the world is, is always going to exist until Jesus makes it right again. So um, uh, I would imagine that our response would always be the same. And I think that Jesus um, shows us this in response. Uh, in Mark 4, there's this, there's this uh, part of scripture where the teachers of the law, it was, it was common back then in this um, early... Um, or in this uh, AD, early AD culture, the G- time of Jesus, um, for teachers of the law to publicly have debates in front of people. This was like where you would make your challenge um, to like uh, debate somebody and beat them. Um, like you think about Paul uh, when he goes to, uh, where does he go to to debate about the gods? And there's like the, uh, the nameless uh, god. What's that uh, called? Acts 17, I believe. Or... Ooh, references. That's good. Yeah. Well, what was that place called though? The Pan- Pantheon? Portland. <laughs> it was Portland. Sure. Anyway, but I but I think about like there, this was like a direct challenge to Jesus, right? They're talking about the law, and they're like, which which of these laws is the greatest is the greatest commandment? And and uh, so so in Mark four, starting in verse twenty, it says, one of the teachers of the law came uh, and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So the first part of Jesus' response is what's known as the Shema. Mm -hmm. Um, Jewish people, uh, the Israelites, this was like their mantra. Like This was their prayer. This was the thing that they clinged to throughout history. Um, uh, oh, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And um, if you ever wanted to hear more about the Shema, um, the Bible Project actually did a whole video on the Shema. It just, it's a great, it's a great um, kind of explanation of what it is. But even Jewish people today, they'll keep the Shema prayer inside of what's called a mezuzah. My wife and I actually got a mezuzah as a wedding present from a friend of ours that has the Shema in it. And basically you put it on your door frame. And every time you enter your house and every time you leave your house, you acknowledge, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, which, if you think about it, like that, that is basically a protection of your house. Like, like mm-hmm. we serve 
this god in this house and when we leave man that's a cool wedding gift it's a cool wedding gift right dude I'm, i blew it when i i think i gave you like a starbucks gift Someone card, so. that, for that is a really gift cool wedding gift if anyone's like planning for cut your head 2020 <laughs> 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 we'll just we'll just keep it rolling um but yeah so so in this um we know that when we talked about in the last episode pursuing truth um, no matter the answer, if you've made a pre-commitment to obey Jesus, then your response to any question, regardless of the answer, is to love God and to love people. Hmm. So so we talked about this in the last episode, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. You can go back and listen to that on our Instagram. We have a picture of it. This is kind of the process of how we pursue truth, right? We're going to do this. We're going to do it faithfully. We're going to love it. But at the end of the day, our response never changes. If we've if we've made a pre-commitment to obey Jesus and we love Jesus, then we're going to love God with all of our heart, all our soul, our mind and strength, and we're going to love people no matter what the answer to our questions may be. Um I think about this idea of telos or telos, I don't know how you pronounce it. Telos, that sounds cooler, right? Um it's this idea of of a love or a desire for something. It's uh it's like this drawing to something. There's this book that I started reading. Um, it's called You Are What You Love, mm-hmm. The Spiritual Power of Habit. Yeah. And it's a book by James K. A. Smith. This Gotta book dude, it's rocking my world. Yeah. Like, um he basically talks about the idea that that more than your intellect, what your heart desires, right. where your where your affections are drawn, that's what shapes you. Right. And I was listening to a podcast, This Cultural Moment, which is um, a great podcast, um, probably cooler than this one, um, definitely cooler than this one. <laughs> but they were talking about this too, and and they and what something that John Mark Comer, who's one of the hosts, he was saying that we like to really think of ourselves as these really highly intelligent, individualistic, free agents in the world. Um, but he was he was basically you know uh, giving this challenge to say like we're really not as smart as we think we are, <laughs> mm-hmm. that we are driven far more. And, and honestly, I, I agree. Like in this post enlightenment, like dominant Western culture, we put a lot of stock in what we can do with our minds and our intellect, right? There was this French philosopher in the enlightenment, uh, Rene Descartes, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, his famous line that everyone quotes is, I think, therefore I am. It's about self-awareness or not self-awareness, self, um, uh, consciousness, self, what's the word I'm looking for? Not self-awareness, self... Enlightenment? No, self... Uh, Existence. Oh, Lord. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I was on Twitter. Wow, David was on Twitter during our recording podcast. Anyway. And I'm never on Twitter. The, so. <laughs> the thing is, like, I think therefore I am, like, like the idea behind this is that, that what we can wrap our minds around really dictates existence. And... As I think it's a half truth. Like I think what our minds can do is a is a powerful thing. I think it's a really cool thing to endeavor to learn and to gain knowledge. But but beyond pursuing knowledge, in and of itself, it's not a holistic approach to this thing called life. Like it's it's only half of the picture. We are very driven by our desires, by what by what um, this Greek word telos is saying. Right, like mm-hmm. what we love, it, it shapes who we are. Um, who and how we love will shape us far more than we think than what yeah. we think. I think in the in the long run. Um, now that being said, in regards to this question, there are some really good resources out there. Um, in this podcast, we're not going to solve the problem of evil. <laughs> I don't think so. There are some resources that I found, and you guys can feel free to add to this. But C.S. Lewis um, not only writes fiction like the Chronicles of Narnia, he writes a lot of like 
deep philosophical, theological stuff. Um, the problem of pain, I think, is a really good one. Along with that, a grief observed is along the same vein of thought, um, but it's approached from more of a point of personal loss. Screwtape Letters is really interesting um, because C.S. Lewis kind of talks about the strategy of evil. And then um, the Space Trilogy, which I'm personally uh, learning from right now, um, is really interesting. I, I was reading The Great Divorce, and I finished Paralandra, and now I'm currently reading um, out of, oh no, sorry, Out of the Silent Planet, then I read The Great Divorce, and now I'm currently reading That Hideous Strength. And um, uh, it's just profound the way they talk about evil. Basically, the premise is that Earth is the only planet that experienced a fall in the solar mm-hmm. system, and every other planet has life on it, but they're all still existing in paradise. Um, and it's it's super interesting. And then uh, another book in there is um, The Great Divorce, which isn't part of the Space Trilogy. It's, it's by itself. But in this book, it's basically a, a fictional telling of this train that takes you to the afterlife. And in this, the characters experience um, realities from from hell and from heaven. They don't call them that in the book. But um, basically what, what the book gets to is that people have a choice which side of the reality they get to embrace. And the hinge point of that choice is them being able to relinquish control over their lives. So those are some resources from Lewis, Problem of Pain, A Grief Observed, Screwtape Letters, Space Trilogy, The Great Divorce, all great resources. Yeah, when in doubt, go to C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I mean, one of, one of my favorite quotes of his is he says something along the lines of, there are two kinds of people. There are those who say to God, thy will be done. And then there are those whom God says to them, thy will be done. Mm. And I mean, that's really gives a bit of a snapshot of how, how he views the problem of evil. Totally. Yeah, that's really good. You'll see that theme even in Lewis's writings. And then Timothy Keller wrote a book called The Reason for God. That whole book is not about um, evil, but there is a lot of that in that book, and I think it's a really good one. Um, So to to further respond to this question, like if God knows everything that's going to happen, why did he create Lucifer in the first place if he knew that he was going to turn away from him? So I was talking to a pastor friend about this, and, um, you know, we started philosophizing or whatever, but, but I think the bottom line was, like, our relationship and our story with God wouldn't be worth living if there wasn't another option. Mm. So, like, I think about um, my marriage to my wife. People ask me all the time, how did you know that your wife was the one? And I get that some people have, like, crazy experiences where it's like, I knew the second I saw them, I was going to marry them. I d- we didn't have, not, she didn't either. We didn't have this kind of experience. It was more something that we grew into and, honestly, something that we chose. Because think about it this way. If somebody says, like, oh, it, they are the most be- objectively beautiful person I've ever seen. They are the smartest person I've ever known. They are a perfect person in every way. And I knew that I could marry no one except for them. That was exactly what Laura said when she first met me. <laughs> oh, my God. But if you think about it, if that person were to marry you, it kind of has no weight to it. Because right, it's like, choice. why else? Mm. Who else would I marry? Right. It's like, of course, I'm going to marry you if you're absolutely. But if, if the point to marry someone is to say, like, despite all of these things, you know, no matter what struggles that you bring into the relationship, even the things that we have to head into together, things that we don't see coming later, right, yeah. like I'm going to choose yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what makes our marriage weighty. That's what makes the commitment mean something. If, if there was never ever going to be a challenge to my commitment to Jaina, my commitment wouldn't mean very much. 
And so as we were talking about this, um, he, he brought in Augustine because he's just really smart like that. But Augustine was a person who really talked about free will a lot. And he was the one who kind of um, generated a lot of conversation around the idea that sin is privation, meaning sin, evil, is the absence of good. So in a similar way as to say that cold is the absence of heat, heat can exist if there isn't something apart from heat, right? When heat enters into the scene, it makes it warm and without heat, it's cold. So he drew this diagram for me um, and uh, I'll post it on the Instagram, but basically it's this orb. And um, if you think, if you think about the orb in two halves, kind of like a pokeball, the top half of the orb is goodness, good things, good people, good relationships. And below it is a dotted line. It's a, it's a dotted curve line, the, the second half of the circle. And that is potential. It doesn't actually exist. Mm. All it is, is the absence of goodness. So if there wasn't a pathway for me to leave goodness, goodness, goodness wouldn't really exist either. Mm. So I kind of think about evil as simply a perversion of things that are good or a restructuring, because that word good in Genesis, the, the implication there is that it was good means this works really well. Right. So if, if I take something that works really well and I reorder it so that it doesn't work, that's when it becomes perverted, dare I say, evil. So like, if you think about someone who makes a car, right? If I make a car and I have the engine under the hood, I have the, the rubber wheels under the, the carriage and I have the axles, right? Like everything's where it's supposed to be. If I then take that engine, pull it out of the car and then switch it with one of the tires, there's nothing wrong with the engine, nothing wrong with the tire, nothing wrong with the concept of a car, but it is not going to run. It's not going to work because the engine's not supposed to be there. The wheel's not supposed to be there. So when I take something that God has ordered to be good and I rearrange it in a way that I want to, I take something that is good and I pervert it. I distort it. And Lewis talks about this in Screwtape Letters even. The demon, um, what's his name? Wormwood? Uh, is, he the, is he the overlord demon? So it's uh, Wormwood is the understudy and Screwtape is Screwtape, the Screwtape, mentor right. who is writing to Wormwood. Right, so Screwtape's... Screwtube. 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 It's, it's YouTube's it's Screwtube. enemy. It's YouTube's competitor. <laughs> Screwtape's uh, coaching Wormwood on how to be evil, right? And he's like, just so you know, we don't have any original thoughts. All you can do is take the good things that God has given this guy and make them messed up. That's mm-hmm. your only strategy that you have. So when we think about that, that's really what I think... So fun fact, this is how physics will tie into morality, which I think is really fun. There's a theory out there that, so basically what heat is, is that as things get hotter, the molecules start to move faster with greater intensity. And the colder things get, molecules start to slow down and and move less. Absolute zero would mean that molecules are completely still. And that is a theoretical impossibility. Hmm. Wait, so zero doesn't exist? Absolute zero in terms of temperature, doesn't exist. Now, here's, here's how I'd like to, to move off of that. If absolute zero did exist, that's what death is. So, like, when we move away from the goodness of God, the antithesis of that goodness and that life is death, is the removal of good things, is the removal of heat. I could have sworn we reached absolute zero in February. <laughs> I mean, it was chilly. That's so dramatic. 
<laughs> Sorry, I, I just moved here from California, so it felt that way. <laughs> I love what you're doing, though, Lane, like taking this big question of evil and trying to help us understand it. I feel like it's evil can be this thing that we could look at and like project a bunch of stuff on. Yeah. And But I think even opening up our minds to the fact that like we are ourselves we are able to make evil choices to do evil things and i think a lot of the times when we talk about evil it's apart from me apart from my choices apart from my contributions but like totally from what i'm hearing you say like we play a part in this Mm -hmm. and we engage or not engage or move against evil so yeah it's just interesting yeah because it's easy to think of the greedy dictator and you know uh and the stealing of food from the citizens and just looking at something like that and being like that is straight up evil um but then it hits closer to home when for you it's uh, a call to love someone who is hard to love right exactly Mm -hmm. and you you know withholding love that's a mis- it, this may be extreme, but th- that is a manifestation of evil. Totally, you know. So yeah, and Jesus calls us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies, right? So me praying for Satan, like there you go. Yeah, I think that I'm just following what Jesus <laughs> told me to do. So to bring us home, guys, like obviously we've we've pontificated and and philosophized around the problem of evil for a few minutes now, but at the end of the day, the answer that you arrive at as to why evil exists. In what way does it matter? How then will you live, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people, right? That's how you move forward even amidst evil because there's no answer that's going to be exactly what you want. Yeah. That's really good. Really good. Well, that's going to wrap up the questions for this episode of the Gathering Q&R podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. We post the number every week. You can feel free to send us anonymous questions. Love you guys, and uh, tune in next time. Party hard. Bye. for this episode of the Gathering Q&R podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. We post the number every week. You can feel free to send us anonymous questions. Love you guys, and uh, tune in next time. Party hard. Bye. (laughs)